Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro bringing you a much delayed episode of Monday Madness. I finally finished up that project that was soaking up all of my time, but now I am back in Colorado. Content should become a little more frequent and regular in the coming months as I get settled back into things here. Even so, I would still like to extend a thank you to Nick Fernhout and Nick Bryan for holding things down. They've put together some great periodicals that you should definitely check out if you haven't had the chance yet. Super relevant to now and well-written, though I don't want to spoil any more. You can find those on www.rarepetro.com. Other than that, I think it is about the time we dive into the most significant stories and impactful statistics regarding the current energy landscape. Commodity prices. How are those holding up? We are looking at some modest early morning gains, though things have certainly been better. One month ago, WTI prices were just above $85, but then it began its decline. Since then, it's been on a trend line downward to a low of 71 just last Friday. At the time of writing this script, the price is back up to about 73, but it doesn't look like prices will be getting much higher anytime soon. Brent has performed about the same, but maintains a $5 premium when compared to WTI. Natural gas has been behaving just a bit differently, though. A month ago, it was a hair below $6 and started to climb. Around Thanksgiving, it hit a peak of $7.70, though it fell right back down to $5 in the coming days. It has since returned to today's price of $6.60, though it looks like it will continue to climb, whereas the crude commodities seem intent on falling even further. It sure seems like a strange time for the price to fall this hard, but there have been dozens of factors in the past two months that I have just not been covering with the frequency you've come to expect. Keep an eye out as nothing is guaranteed, and this holiday season has been proven a rather tumultuous time in previous years, so anything could happen. Next up is the rig count. The most recent report reveals a four-rig decrease in the United States, leaving us at a total of 780 rigs. Don't be too upset, as this is still 204 more rigs than we had this time last year. That's the more important of those two statistics. The basin that experienced the most change this week was the granite wash, which added two to its meager four rigs. That is significant growth. Otherwise, the Eagleford and Barnet gained one rig each. The Ardmer Woodford, Cannell Woodford, and Mississippian each lost a rig. It hurts most for the Mississippian, who only had two rigs in the first place, but that's just how the cookie crumbles this week. If we look from the state perspective, New Mexico is up three, but every other change was zero or negative. Alaska and Oklahoma were each down two, Texas and Wyoming were down one. The Gulf of Mexico found some room to add another rig, but other than that, things are mostly unchanged. This week's emphasis is split between oil and gas, though vertical wells are receiving a bit more attention than they were last week. Lastly is the inventory report from Nick Fernhout. If you didn't catch it, you can always go back and check it out on www.rarepetro.com. This is one of the most important of the statistics we look at, as it provides insight into supply and demand, which is one of the fundamentals influencing price action, and I'd argue, one of the most significant fundamentals. Here's what Nick had to say. Would you look at that? Another good-sized draw this week. The EIA expected a draw of around 3.3 million barrels, and ended up reporting a draw of 5.2-ish million barrels. The API also reported a fairly large draw of nearly 6.5 million barrels of crude, while they had only forecasted one of about 3.9. The SPR has released their latest data showing a draw of just over 2 million barrels. While it still may be releasing just a bit of oil, the amount has certainly decreased this month, likely reason the last month has only witnessed draws. 
the SPR inventory now sits at about 387 million barrels, or the lowest since March of 1984. Meanwhile, inventory of crude has been dipping even further below the five-year range typical for this time of year. Not much new on the gasoline front, neither in stock or price. Gasoline continues to become cheaper and cheaper, and gasoline stocks have made a great recovery in the last few weeks, even managing to climb back into that five-year range, believe it or not. Speaking of cheapening gas prices, the national average decreased by 43 cents and now sits at 3 295 Hawaii has the most expensive gas and is the only state to record an average over $5, but with some time, those prices will hit them as well. Those cheaper prices, I should say. Texas and Oklahoma are among the cheapest in the country at $2,733 and $2,770, respectively. Diesel has become $0.15 cents cheaper this week as well. Distillates have made a huge comeback this week, and by huge, I mean really huge. If you look at the graph, this year's weekly line has just nearly recovered to within the five-year range, so that is great to see. The recent build of distillates and primary diesel has largely been a result of the widespread economic slowdown, as well as the events in China. Though, that could change. Stay tuned. Thanks again to Nick for that great report. Now to take a look at some current events. As Nick had just mentioned, China's response to COVID has always been pretty severe. The government's actions have definitely had an effect by decreasing consumption or demand for oil and gas commodities. That all changed last week as China has now lifted many of the restrictions and rules it had been so adamant on imposing. Folks are now allowed to isolate at home if they are no symptom or low symptom rather than doing so at a centrally managed facility. They also announced plans to stop tracking some travel, which could reduce the likelihood of forced quarantine with respect to a citizen's previous whereabouts whether or not that was in a hot spot. This is a huge step as the past three years have been rather overbearing for folks living in China. Imagine the first few months back in 2020 when lockdowns began. It was pretty weird times, we didn't know what was going on, things got serious. China had pretty much continued what we had done to a much greater extent up until now. I'd place good money on this raising oil prices in the coming weeks. I mean, China has definitely stockpiled loads of oil through the pandemic and almost assuredly gets a good deal when purchasing energy from Russia, but this is such a significant change over what they've done in response to COVID that I think it's going to affect demand, and then it's only a matter of time until WTI even feels some of that upwards price pressure. Even Bank of America is predicting triple-digit Brent prices once again. They said, quote, Our oil demand and price projections for 2023 rely heavily on robust China and India demand growth, so any Asia reopening delays could affect our expected price trajectory, end quote. Analysts over there also believe a production cut from OPEC is just around the corner, which would just add fuel to this price rally fire. Rare Petro has been speaking on these factors for quite some time, so it's nice to see that's finally being recognized by others in the town square. But how are things holding up in the UK? I'm glad you asked. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine still leaves a lot of uncertainty in the energy landscape. Now the UK's transmission system operator, National Grid, has asked to keep two coal-powered plants on standby should more electrical generation be required. They have now been labeled as contingency plants and were expected to be needed as snow fell in London. Fortunately for the UK, they had sufficient power and did not need to call on these coal plants, so they have been, once again, stood down. This is still a stark contrast from just a few years ago. 
It was only a few months in the summer when the UK decided to postpone the decommissioning of these plants, and I applaud them for making that decision. This is all a result of them being too reliant on someone else's production, and rather than purchasing natural gas, their energy prices have gone up and they've had to turn back to coal. So, so much for a green and just transition. At this point, I'm curious as to how they move forward. If commodity prices stabilize and Russia apologizes to Ukraine, do these coal plants go back to the chopping block? I mean, they were set to be decommissioned not too long ago. Will the UK still carry through with decommissioning, even though they've demonstrated their possible need in times of an energy shortage? Unfortunately, I do think their government will fail to realize these things and go back to business as usual by the time it all blows over. So we'll have to keep an eye out over the next few years. Folks, I've been gone a minute. But not much has changed in the previous months outside of China's reopening. Otherwise, too many people are still dependent on Russia for energy commodities. There's conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It continues. Commodity prices remain elevated and continue to eat away at everyone's wallets. Things aren't exactly good. As a matter of fact, I saw an article that was supposed to be uplifting. In the article, a bakery in the UK is leaving its ovens on and allowing people to bring and pay to bake their goods. This has the added benefit of conserving energy and warming the community area above the bakery. I don't know about you, but returning to technology and practices of the dark ages isn't exactly uplifting. Let's hope that not too many people struggle this winter. If you're looking for more information surrounding the energy industry, you can always find more at www.rarepetro.com, where tons of our own in-house stuff gets cross-posted with news from all over the world. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody.